Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University. It's one of those issues that it's like, it literally can touch like every social impact issue we have going on. If we're thinking about education inequity, food ties to that. If we're thinking about environmental issues, food ties to that. If we're thinking about political issues, food ties, you know, it like really is one of those intersectional pieces. Um, And for me, it was just really important to be in an academic space that was using food as sort of the epicenter or the lens to then discuss all of these issues that we're dealing with as a country. Our guest today on the podcast is Ashia Auberg, who earned a dual bachelor's degrees in food studies from Falk College and also in policy studies from the College of Arts and Sciences in 2018. Ashia is a dedicated food justice advocate, a journalist, a podcaster, an entrepreneur, and a creator of some pretty tasty recipes, if I may say so myself. She serves as the Global Culinary Program Lead for Asana, based in San Francisco, and Ashia is kind enough to join us here for this episode of the Cuse Conversations podcast, diving into all issues related to food justice. Ashia, how are you holding up these days? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Excited to be on this podcast to kind of just talk through my journey and how Syracuse really influenced a lot of it. Ashia was always interested, always passionate about food from an early age, but didn't want to take the traditional route with food. Pick up the story from there. What? How did you become so interested in food? What was that relationship from an early age? Love this question. I feel like that's the question I love. Like when I'm applying for a job, I'm like, ask me that question. That's what I want to answer. Um, because my path is very just untraditional. So growing up, you know, my family, let's just start there. Food was like the epicenter of our culture. When we have gatherings, food is always present. When we're unfortunately like um, taking time to honor just like unfortunate events that have happened in our lives, food is always present. Um, Comfort wise, food is always there um, to really kind of just like bond us together. So just from, you know, my early ages of growing up, food has always just been the epicenter of my life, different cultural recipes. Um, So my grandparents immigrated from Haiti. um, So a lot of Haitian cuisine, um, but also just like, um, I love to say like my family's kind of like this multi melting pot of cultures. So like whether it was Ethiopian food, Puerto Rican food, Dominican food, um, Haitian food, other types of Caribbean foods. Like we always had all of these like beautiful cultures like present at our table for different holidays and family gatherings. So I just naturally grew up wanting to be a chef. My family was very supportive of this at an early age. I know typically a lot of people that grow up wanting to be chefs, like typically get get a lot of backlash from family members just because it's a pretty cutthroat career. Um, But no, my family was like very much on board. I was very young cooking in the kitchen from a very young age. I was assigned Thanksgiving dinner like side uh, dishes. So like I was always in the mix cooking. Um, essentially, uh, in high school, we, I went to a, a, like a vocational high school, um, that had this vocational program. So they had a culinary arts program and essentially throughout my four years in high school, I participated in this program was pretty set on becoming a pastry chef, 
I ended up um, when I was 16 working for James Beard award winning restaurant, um, interning for their pastry chef. I was like dead set on going to the CIA for those that don't know the Culinary Institute of America. I was like very much tunnel vision on this path towards becoming a chef. But as we know, life never goes as we plan. And I think that's really just like the theme of my story. Um, Essentially, um, when I was in high school, um, as I was working at this like super, super fancy, like, again, James Baird Award winning restaurant, um, I started to kind of just like witness like what it felt like, just like this weird, like nuance, like something just like feeling wrong or like not right. Um, and essentially I was just like, huh, like it's pretty cool that like I'm working at this restaurant. Right. But no one in my family can afford to ever come and eat here. None of my friends, you know, community members, even though it was like nestled within our community can afford to actually come and like enjoy these delicious like foods that we have offering. So kind of just like got me thinking just like a lot about like what, does inequities look like in the food system and just from like a baseline of like access to food so essentially you know it just like got me thinking a lot because I'm like here I am just like super tunnel vision in this like culinary path wanting to be a chef the culinary curriculum was very much focused on like the technique right or just like the history of food Um, but we never dug deep into like socially how does food impact us right um And at the same time um, that I was having all these questions, um, I started to like, just like naturally, like I love inquiry. I started to like ask a lot of these questions like in my courses at my school and things like that. And one of my professors was like, let me connect you to this woman. Essentially, she started a program here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. And essentially what the program is, is that um, she gets all of these volunteers to essentially pack lunches for students in the K through um, eight, like elementary school system in Cambridge to give them free lunch on the weekends. Um, And I was like, this is super cool, like, because like the root of that was that a lot of um, public school students depend on like the free uh, school breakfast and free school lunch in order to get like their main nutrition for the week. But on the weekends, of course, without that being present, you know, uh, unfortunately, like a lot of people that are food insecure can, you know, deal with not having food present. So I was just like immediately in love with just like the mission of her volunteer project. And me, of course, being like the very like passionate and motivated person that I was at like 16, um, I emailed her and I was just like, are you looking for interns? I would love to like work with you and love to kind of learn from you. And essentially that kind of just like, I always say like when it comes to the food justice um, or over like overall like food policy field, it's very small. So once you get plugged into it, it's kind of just like this array of just like awesome people you meet and also just like this array of opportunities that then present itself. That's when it came down to this like pivotal decision I had to make when I began applying to colleges because I was so set on going to a culinary school. But then after like getting these experiences of like working on the ground of community members and working on like these really vast issues that we had going on, um, I really had to sit with myself and be like, is working in a kitchen really what like, is that really what I want? Or is it something else? And right, food studies was not a popular major then. 
it wasn't even a major at Syracuse when I like considered Syracuse. But eventually, long story short, I decided to kind of like going into like some type of nutrition or public health program because it kind of seemed aligned. Um, so I started looking for schools that had um, cool programs that I was interested in within that realm. And I will never forget, Syracuse was always one of my top schools just because I had known people that went there. My aunt Diana um, had graduated from Syracuse um, and just like had like a very amazing like career after like, you know, working at Syracuse. Um, So for me, like I had always had this connection to Syracuse for a very long time. And essentially, I'll never forget, I applied and while I was waiting for like my application to go through, they did these like in-person interviews and they had came to Boston to do these interviews. And I was like to my mom, I was like, we have to go. Um, so for the most part, most of the colleges I was like applying for, I wasn't doing the in-person interviews. It was pretty much just like the typical application. But there was just something tying me to Syracuse. And I was like, we have to go. And I remember I'm just like talking about like what I'm interested in, what I'm passionate about. And the woman that was interviewing just like cut me off and she was just like, wait. So she was like, you're interested in food. You're interested in like social justice policy, blah, 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 blah. Like the environment, like, you know, all these things. She was like, okay, I know this is going to sound weird, but she was like, they're thinking of making this new major at Syracuse called food studies. It's not a major yet, but she was like, I promise you just apply into like nutrition or public health. And by the end of your freshman or sophomore year, it'll probably be a major. So then again, it was another one of these moments where I was like, okay, this isn't really like firm. I have to trust this woman that I literally met for like 30 minutes. But okay, like, let's just go for it. Let's hope that it works out. And essentially, like, I ended up going back into my application and being like, I'm very interested in the food studies program that they're hoping to create. And then essentially from there, I remember I ended up getting the acceptance. And then a lot of the food studies faculty that had got hired on ended up reaching out to me because they were like super excited that they like had this like one person that was interested (laughs) in the major. And then I think like actually within like two months, like of me being at Syracuse, like I was like enrolled into that major. Um, But that's essentially how I got to Syracuse. I love finding out people's how and the why and how you connect the dots, you know, with, with your passion out there. And we have a lot to unpack uh, in in your response right there, but I want to start off with this kind of follow-up question. How big of an issue is it in our country right now, the issues of food insecurity and food justice? I think it's a huge issue, right? I think it's a huge issue because it affects so much, right? From early adolescence, if we're not getting like the proper nutrients that we need, like it can affect our our development when we get into like grade school and high school. Like, again, if we're not getting, you know, the foods we need and not just like from a nutrition standpoint, but also from just like a cultural and comfort standpoint, it could affect us in terms of, you know, like being able to focus, unfortunately, developing like eating disorders or unhealthy relationships with food. Um, and then like continuing to move, move forward, like from like, I just like, like to think about it from like, just like the developments of people, but like also just like from, you know, an adult standpoint, like 
if I don't have access to um, foods that I feel connected to in my neighborhood or foods that I can afford, right? Like it, it's like kind of just like the spiral effect that like at each level can have like these terrible consequences. Um, and that's just like the food access piece, right? Then we also have like the food policy piece as it relates to um, a lot of the work that I typically worked with was around food stamps and SNAP. So really being um, just like um, being able to make sure that people can have access um, to the resources that they need in times of hardship um, or in times of just like social inequity, um, right? So a lot of the work that I typically did as it related to food stamps was around like um, these like healthy incentive programs. So essentially allowing people to use their food stamps to then purchase foods from farmers markets. Cause I think like, of course, there's just like a lot of just like terrible rhetoric around like the food stamps program in general, the people that use it, what they typically want to buy. And, you know, from a lot of the work that I was doing, Unfortunately, like a lot of like the cultural vegetables or foods or grains, things like that were just not accessible for people. So a lot of the work that I did around policy was around like promoting these programs to make this benefit more accessible to people. Um, and then we have the whole environmental aspect. Right. And, you know, like people can talk for hours about how, you know, different aspects of um, just the way that we approach policy as it relates um, to just the way we produce food, the way um, we uh, like um, properly disposed or waste food um, can impact our environment just like terribly. So I think like it's one of those issues that it's like it literally can touch like every social impact issue we have going on. If we're thinking about education and equity, food ties to that. If we're thinking about environmental issues, food ties to that. If we're thinking about political issues, food ties, you know, it like really is one of those intersectional pieces. Um, and for me, um, it was just really important to be in an academic space that was using food as sort of the epicenter or the lens to then discuss all of these um, issues that we're dealing with as a country. Um, and then of course, like beyond like the food access, another piece that I really focused on was just like food and identity. So like food and race, like how um, that impacts us um, in terms of like the racial issues that we have going on in this country. It's easy to think of food simply as a way to nourish your body, exactly. but it's, it's so much more than that. And you hit on this with your most recent answer. How do you feel that food serves a really important role when it comes to justice, healing, and our culture in this country? So I love that question because I think that's what I always go back to for my why, right? If people ask like, why do you do this work? Why are you interested in this work? And I think literally the aspect of like food at a base level, right, is nourishment for us, um, which is why we could talk about it later. I called my blog like Nourish Palette because like I really genuinely believe that, that like food serves so many purposes but like back to your question, food really ties people together, right? Um, but also food can also be weaponized, right? Like we see in plenty of countries, like in times of war, just like serious conflict, typically the first thing to kind of just like strip people's power away is removing their access to food. 
And of course, we love to think about food, right? Um, in that very dramatic way of like being a way of like stripping people's power, stripping people's dignity. But what I feel like doesn't always get recognized is that that's happening so much across all of our communities, not in a very blatant way, right? Um, but because of all these societal factors that are kind of influencing um, different people um, and, you know, their life outcomes, it can be very difficult um, to gain access to food, which, of course, if we think about our hierarchy of needs is definitely just like one of the basic levels of needs. Right. So I would say like food is definitely nourishment, um, but I also think it's like a form of power for people. I think it's definitely one of those things that allows people to like really, you know, have this like dignified life. And, you know, with so many like aspects of this getting stripped away from people and not even just in the literal sense, but if we think about like indigenous people um, and, you know, literally like their seeds getting like taken away from them or like, you know, to be able to like grow these like cultural crops, things like that. Um, if we think about like a lot of immigrants that have to come to countries, um, literally cannot find like certain ingredients that they used to cook with. Like, I think like these are all the big conversations that come up for me when I think about um, food as nourishment, but also what it means to not have access to that nourishment. With your current role, I want to get a little in, uh, insight from you about, again, your current role as global culinary program lead for yeah. Asana. Yep. What is that job all about? And how is this position yeah. helping to achieve those goals you talked about of combating food justice issues in our country? So I recently joined Asana, which is a tech company as their global culinary program lead. And essentially my role is to work to establish these culinary programs um, across the company um, globally. So I'm working currently um, with programs that are getting set up in the US and Canada. Japan, Australia, Europe, Singapore, like all like a bunch of different places. Essentially, this role wasn't meant to be uh, this like food justice oriented role, which was actually like a piece of my career that I was worried about because for so long, all of the like programs and projects that I've worked on um, in terms of working with different organizations have been heavily focused on it. But what I love to say is that, again, food is so intersectional. So you can essentially like enter any food career path and like essentially make it what you want in terms of being able to tackle justice. Um, and another aspect of food justice that's very important to me is um, economic empowerment. Um, especially for BIPOC-owned businesses and things like that that are operating in the food space. Um, so essentially what I've been working on in this role is really trying to help um, and mobilize um, small BIPOC-owned uh, businesses um, to be able to get these high-profile contracts with tech companies. So essentially, um, I'm working with different BIPOC-owned um, food businesses to be able to help train them, um, but also help get them set up with working um, as like vendors um, to support the culinary programs um, for this tech company across the globe. Um, what that typically looks like, right, is like, really, I feel like the first thing is typically like their empowerment piece. Um, typically, I'll do like a lot of research on different like BIPOC-owned like food businesses that do like corporate catering and things like that. Um, and the first thing I'll do is just like reach out and be like, hey, 
I think that what you're doing is great. Would you be interested in taking on bigger contracts, which of course yields more revenue for these companies? Uh, well, not these companies, but these BIPOC loan companies. And I feel like typically like the first response I get is like, I don't have capacity to do it. I would love to do it, but I just can't right now. And I think what my role in this role has really been is like, what can we do to kind of help you get there, right? Like, is it training that you need? Is it funding for additional staff? Um, is it help with developing menus for the programs? Like, what can I do in my role to help you get on board with being um, one of these uh, vendors for our tech company? And I feel like for me, that's been pretty rewarding because a lot of the spaces in the food justice field that I've worked at have been on the, like, I feel like I think of like different levels of the food justice field, but I feel like a lot of the work that I've done in my previous roles has been around like food access, right? So ensuring that people have access to food on just like a granular level, but then also like food waste, like ensuring that we're not like wasting food and things like that. But I also think like a really important piece of this is also just like economic stability. I feel like for a lot of BIPOC communities that start businesses, it's tremendously hard for a lot of reasons, right? Um, and for me, I think that like being able to put a lot of these BIPOC food companies in a position to gain these contracts. Um, and another piece that I really love about a lot of the BIPOC companies that I'm working with is that they all have like some type of like social impact piece um, connected to it. So I'm working with one company in Vancouver, that's a catering company, but half of their business um, in terms of where the profits for this business goes is directed to um, feeding homeless people in Vancouver and training people who are formerly incarcerated to work for their catering company. Um, so for me, it feels like a ripple effect, right? It's like, okay, how can we get these BIPOC-owned um, food company or food businesses, like these smaller ones, into a position to be able to get like more revenue for their business? And then in turn, they end up helping the communities that they're in or employing people from the communities that they're in. That they're in. So that's essentially what I've been working on mainly with uh, my role at, at Asana. But I know eventually we're also hoping to do more work around like really engaging um, BIPOC growers as well. Um, so we don't want to just like purchase from like BIPOC owned food uh, businesses. Um, but we also want to ensure that the produce that we're getting for our programs is from local farmers, things like that. So that's essentially like the next step for me once I'm done kind of like ramping up a bunch of these um smaller like food businesses. It seems like a really both a perfect fit and a logical uh, next step in your career. And especially I love the fact of investing in the community and helping, you know, the biopic businesses and farmers both invest in them and help the communities rise up uh, by having the revenue then come in. It goes back into the local community versus being outsourced right. into a national company that uh you're not going to see the return on the investment. Exactly. Whereas in these areas where there's food deserts or food insecurity exactly. issues and food justice issues, it's a self-sustaining economy at that point. It gives back and you're reinvesting on the people that are really going to benefit from, from your work. I, I love that aspect. I also loved before Asana, you mentioned this briefly, but Nourish Palette, um, mm -hmm. the blog, the recipe hub, uh, a really creative resource that you launched. And I loved your slogan, Cultivating palates where food is love. Yeah. How is food love? I love that phrase. Uh, how is food love? And what really inspired you to create Nourished Palate in the first place? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I also just like love kind of what you said back to the other thing about like, kind of like 
refueling economies because I think like kind of going back to the other question I think like that's another aspect I feel like about food justice that sometimes gets ignored like sometimes it's like how can we make sure to feed communities how can we make sure that there's like um, resources but I think like the other piece to that is that a lot of community members like want these dignified like pieces of work right like they don't want just like emergency food technically always coming to their communities. They want jobs. They want opportunities for growth. Right. And as we talk about nourished palate, I think like, you know, for me, I became kind of like a part of um, a space um, during my career where I felt like growth wasn't happening. Um, I felt like I was really like wanting to like go further in terms of like um, the way I'm passionate about food and things like that. Um, and it was really a time where I was like, okay, maybe it's time to like start my own thing. Right. Like it was really important for me to go through that because I think it kind of like teaches you like how difficult it is for black, um, BIPOC in general, like, uh, people to really get to the space to start a business, all the barriers that come with it. Um, all of the just like second guessing because of a lot of reasons that are aligned with it. But essentially, I started Nourish Palette um, as a blog. This was during COVID where I think a lot of people had a little bit of downtime. I had been laid off for, from a role, unfortunately. And uh, it definitely was just like a time of insecurity. And I was just like, what can I do? Like, how can I continue this like path that I'm on? Um, so I first just started with like posting recipes, right? Cause again, going back to food is love. I was like, but not everybody can cook. So how can I make like this thing that <laughs> I love so much, like accessible to different people? So I was like, okay, recipes, let's connect it to social media. Let's meet people where they are. So I made an Instagram page. So I'm like posting, like first I'm like, I need to capture people. Right. So I'm posting like all of these like mouthwatering pictures of food. And I'm like, if you want to make this head to the blog for the recipe, So it started off just like very base level. But I think for me, I was like, I just want to build a community, right? Like how many people, um, you know, have this connection to food and want to kind of like bond over it during this time of crisis, right? When COVID was like peaking, essentially, a lot of people were getting laid off. Unfortunately, it's just like a really difficult time of like insecurity and also just like, oh, what's going on in the world? So I started doing that. It started to receive a lot of attention just because I think like everyone was in this space where it was like, okay, like food is so baseline, right? Like I always say like, if you want to connect with someone, take them out to eat, cook them a meal. Cause I think that's like one of the best ways to kind of like show your culture or like receive someone else's culture and kind of understand who they are as people. Um, so again, started as doing the recipes, doing the blog. Um, but then I was like, okay, this is really cool. Starting to receive like a lot of like, just like people wanting to have dialogue. So then I was like, okay, maybe we can just start a podcast out of this. So I was like, but who do I want on the podcast? Right. Like I love chefs to death. Like, but I was like, this is not about like a cooking technique. Right. I want to get deeper about food. Like, so I started tapping into different people in the food justice industry, um, food justice realm to kind of just like interview them. Like, how did you get to this space? Like, what is it that you're passionate about? And like, what's like a broad message that you'd want, like, you know, a broader audience to know. And again, I think like people just really connected with like this idea of just like opening up a space um, for different dialogue. Um, And I was very intentional too. like I really wanted to showcase um, black women and black people that were in the food justice space and the work that they're doing, because I feel like 
unfortunately, um, especially then, I think a lot changed when, um, unfortunately, everything happened with George Floyd. But there was a huge period of time in the media where like a lot of Black food creators, a lot of Black um, people that were doing food justice work were just not getting media coverage. And I'm like, there are these crazy stories of like all of this like amazing stuff that people are doing. Like, why isn't Bon Appetit writing about this? Like, why is it like, you know, like, why aren't these like big like food publications like taking this stuff seriously? Um, again, I think a lot of that changed when like everything with George Floyd and the protests happened. Right. Um, but there was like a very much like a dry spell of like coverage in the media for like black people black women and black people in food essentially i continued with like this theme of like food is love so like continuing to like try to offer just like um resources that were like uplifting that you know in this time of just like serious like insecurity for a lot of people um that could kind of like help them take their mind off of like everything going on um and i continued with that of course things with covid began to kind of like level out a bit um, I don't think we'll ever be at a great place of COVID, but like they began to level out and I was like, okay, like people are starting to go back outside, right? Like I can't continue just like doing this work from like the blog standpoint. Like I can, but I don't think it's like going to gain as much traction. So then I was like, okay, I got, I had already had gotten my LLC. Um, and I was like, but how can I like push the boundaries even further? And I was like, okay, like maybe we should actually just start a business. Um, so I ended up like getting something called a cottage license, which, um, a lot of like cities have that essentially allows you to be able to cook food, um, from your home without having to like pay rent at a kitchen commissary or something like that to then sell that food at farmer's markets. So essentially I started a farmer's market business, um, selling Caribbean inspired baked goods and drinks. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. That was the most difficult time of my life. I think people really underestimate what it takes for small businesses to be able to get their grounds running. And I think that's even amplified for people that come from families that have never been business owners, right? I think that's even amplified for people that are immigrants and can't understand like all of the legal jargon when having to like apply for different like certifications, LLCs, things like that. So essentially I had figured it out. Right. It, but I'm not, it was not easy, but I did figure out all the like logistical aspects to get my business running. You have had, I, I'm just marveling here with the, the fascinating journey you've taken and from someone who thought they knew what they wanted to do to yeah. evolving, you know, evolving your career and adapting and adjusting and still having an impact in the community and focusing on the greater good. It, it's commendable. Uh, how you've taken this passion and made it uh, a sustaining and worthwhile career. When you reflect back on Syracuse and the role that Syracuse yeah. University played, what are some of the biggest lessons you learned from your time here at Syracuse that have inspired and influenced your career? I would say like the first thing is just like marveling at opportunity and understanding that you don't have to be putting a put in a box. So I think like when I got to Syracuse, I was like, okay, I have this major. I have to stick in this major. All the clubs I join have to be related to this major. You know, like that's what we're going to do. All the internships I do have to be related to this major. You know, like that's what I thought Syracuse was going to be like. When I got there, it was a completely different like scenario. It was like, whoa, there's all these clubs. Like 
even if it's not tied to what I'm studying, like I can join them. I did um, an internship in New York City for a semester when I was at Syracuse, um, teaching at a public school, um, which was like completely unrelated to food, right? But like, you know, like an opportunity that Syracuse allowed me to go on. And I think like having just so many like opportunities to kind of like step outside of my bubble and kind of just like explore other passions was really important for me and kind of just like taught me the skill that I've carried throughout life. Like if you look at my resume, if you look at my background, it is like so diverse. Like, yes, I've done work like mobilizing farmers, right? I've done work um, working for like food waste organizations. I've done work working for food policy organizations, but I've also done work working for like magazines, like writing articles, you know, like doing podcasts. I've also done work, you know, like communications, like working for different companies and things like that. And I think like for me, like learning that so early in college that like, although I have this passion and the skill set that I'm trying to develop doesn't mean that I can't jump into other fields or other like um, avenues of work was just like very important for me to like learn very early on. And it was so funny when my friends like reflect on my time from Syracuse, they're like, were you even at Syracuse? Because I was always doing something. So my sophomore <laughs> year, my sophomore spring semester, I was in New York City for the semester teaching. My junior year um, semester, spring semester, I was in Italy doing like a whole like food program. So like, you know, like there, I was just like always in the mix doing something when I was at Syracuse. But <laughs> I think it was just like very, very important for me to kind of just like learn very early that it's like we have this whole world, right? We have this whole life ahead of us. Um, I feel like very traditionally, at least in my family, like people typically stuck with, you know, like whatever field they're in for the rest of their lives. And I think like for me, like it was just like pretty liberating to learn that like, no, like there's so many opportunities out there, like dip into this, dip into that, like, <laughs> you know, and kind of just like see where you're at. And Granted, like I graduated in 2018, so I'm still pretty early in my career, but I think like I've definitely been taking like these couple of years after college to really just like take the time to explore like what is it that I'm genuinely interested in like and that can change like and I think that's kind of what I've been seeing so far in terms of like what I've been doing like really just like trying to explore before like I settle and like pick on something and pursue that for the rest of my life. And luckily, like when it comes to food, like I remember like all of my food studies professors, first of all, all amazing. And I, I feel like that's rare. You know, in college, like there's always that one professor that you're like, oh, it didn't work out for whatever reason. <laughs> no, the food studies program, I was just always so amazed and always felt so supported by all of the professors, you know, and I think like one of the biggest pieces of advice that I took from them and, you know, like a lot of their wisdom was like, you can take this degree and apply it to anything, right? Like you don't have to just like go and work for a nonprofit doing food justice work. You can go and work for McDonald's and like try to help change like their sourcing um, techniques, you know, like, you know, like pretty much like, I feel like they really instilled into me that like, this degree is what you're going to make of it, right? Like we're going to give you the tools, the resources, try to help you feel supported. But it's like, ultimately, like, we're kind of encouraging you to kind of like explore and see like how you can kind of take this work that you've been doing into other spaces. What does it mean to you to be a Syracuse University graduate? 
I think for me personally, this might not be like the typical answer that you get to this question, but so my aunt Diana Auber graduated from Syracuse. Um, unfortunately, she passed away from breast cancer a couple of years ago. Um, actually, like the freshman year that I started at Syracuse, she passed away. She had a very similar experience to me, like was just like so involved at Syracuse, like in so many programs. And that was like kind of just like the kickstarter for her career. Um, she ended up like going into work to do like work um, with people in Africa around like various like NGO pro uh, projects, um, just like a lot of really, really important work. So for me, being a graduate of Syracuse University really felt like, how can I continue on this legacy of my aunt Diana who went to Syracuse and just squeezed so much out of her experience? So I have a lot of pride in, in going to Syracuse mainly because like I saw what it did for my aunt, right? Um, and I also saw what it did for me. Um, so I really just, you know, am so thankful for my experience um, and just like, almost like for me, like the generations of opportunities that it's allowed, like just for me and my family. She is a Shia Auberg. She's going to continue to do great work in the line of food studies and food justice. And we wish you nothing but the best. Keep up the great work. And thanks for stay stopping by the podcast today. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.